Hello and very warm welcome to Euractiv's Health Podcast, where every week we dive into EU health policy and bring you the latest health news from Europe. I'm Giedra Pesetskita, and for now I'm handing it over to my colleagues, and we'll be back with the main EU news in the second part of this episode. Well, welcome back. Uh, I'm Gerardo Fortuna. I'm together with uh, Marte Raola, and today we'll be talking about one of the pending files uh, of this legislative mandate, which is the Substances of Human Origins, also known by the fancy acronym SOHO. Uh, there's much talking about blood, plasma, uh, even microbiota or breast milk, um, but today we're focused on one neglected substance in particular, sperm. And we have uh, a guest to talk about this. My name is uh, Annemed Ander Lauritsen. Uh, I am the CEO of uh, European Sperm Bank. Uh, I've been with the European Sperm Bank for uh, 10 years this year. Could you tell us a bit more about the work of the European Sperm Bank? Well, the European Sperm Bank was established back in 2004 uh, in Copenhagen in Denmark. Then we expanded into Aarhus, another large city in Denmark. And then over the last five years, we have established um, ourselves both in uh, Germany, in the uh, UK and in the Netherlands. So now we are not really a Danish sperm bank anymore. We are actually a, a European sperm bank uh, and have activities in, in all these countries, working with uh, donation in, in these four countries. And when it comes to the current regulatory framework for sperm, uh, what areas can be improved in the SOHO reform? We believe that more harmonization between the countries would be really nice. We experience that when a donor has to be used in one country, they have other requirements than another country within the EU to either testing uh, or or shipping or use in, in, so in, in different aspects. So there's not a lot of harmonization. And then each of the countries or many of the countries are requiring data flow of the donors to each of their own uh, registration to be used for the children when, when that time has come. So actually for this time being, the EU is quite fragmented in the way they look at legislation in, in this area. You also said that you operate in different countries. What are the difficulties of doing that? Yeah, that, that means, of course, that we have to use a lot of time to establish ourselves in each of the countries. Uh, it's, it's not just because you are in one country, you can just open uh, a laboratory in another. You need to sort of uh, go all about it, understand the, the, each of the regulatory framework in that country. You have to have doctors in each country and you have to have a responsible person in each country. So you can't just establish yourself in one country and say, now we have one responsible person that can cover all the operation we do in, in the countries because because they're harmonized, because they're not. So some, some document you have to sign in Germany, you don't have to do that in UK, but in UK you have to test differently uh, and in the Netherlands, there's a, a third concept. I guess uh, Denmark is, of course, where we have been the longest, so, so that is, is a bit more familiar to us, but they have, they have other requirements. So in the health world, uh, we're talking a lot about data because of the new Huel data space. And we know that the sperm donation sector is already coping with, uh, with a huge amount of data. So what are the lessons that the, uh, the health sector could actually get from you? The optimal solution seen with us, the sperm bank was that the, the activity that the data was kept in the bank. So there was no distribution of data, but 
we have to secure that data and the children or the donor or the parents could come to the bank and get access to the data. But we did not have to, to transfer it to neither clinics nor other registration units to, to keep that data uh, around. That would safeguard the data more. Uh, you would make sure that the did not, mistake but did not happen uh, abroad from the center. Then you could say, oh, but what if that center did not, what if the sperm bank did not exist anymore? So of course there needed to be some safeguarding that if to, to make sure that, that that sperm bank was still available for children 30, 40, 50, 100 years from now, you, you have to secure that where the, the, the bank is established uh, with perhaps with some kind of public uh, protection or at least a protection among other uh, tissue establishment. You also raised the possibility of setting up an EU register for donors. If we had one European register where that when you were used as a donor, you, you put your data in there, then everyone in any country would know, oh, if I can go to that one register to get data, uh, if I was a recipient or if I was a child. And, and as, as there, there is anonymity between the donor and the recipient, uh, it's only the children who are allowed to get the data from the donors, which we actually think is still a, a good principle, then it is that the, the children in focus could go to one register. The point of this is also that you will never know whether the recipient were treated in your home country or in another EU country. So as a child, you, you have to go to one place. You, you will never know where you your parents actually went to conceive. And that's why one European register would be optimal, I guess, for, for everyone in Europe and for the children, not least. And another controversial topic in the SOHO dossier has been the voluntary and paid donation. So what's your view on this? So the sperm donation is, is a kind and, and, and it's only kind in this field where donors are donation, donating quite often and where it has lifelong implication on the donors. So we have to keep it simple. And I think actually the commission's proposal is a very good proposal for the compensation for the donors. On this, the position of the parliament is a bit different though. The issue is uh, if, if you go as the parliament is suggesting that you have to get receipts for each of your donation or you have to, to make sure oh, I, I left work for uh, 15 minutes to donate what should the how should the donors you can say provide documentation for that and how should we as a sperm bank collect all of that and where should we keep it so the the organization about this donation will be unproportional Difficult. So if I got it right, uh, there's also the risk to increase uh, red tape. It takes about three months to be accepted as a sperm donor. You go through all kind of tests, uh, all kind of medical testing, all kind of family review to make sure they do not pass on any genetic testing. You have to give knowledge uh, that we can share with the children where they come by. And then when you are past that approximately three, three month period, then it's actually very nice for donors that you can come in whatever time during the day, you donate and you, you go on with your life. And then you can do that one, once or twice a week and making that just as, as smooth as we can. Sure, we will have the access to as, as, as many donors as, as possible.
if it's too complex to be a donor, what we have seen is then the gray market will absorb the needs mm. for donation. So here you you can't you can actually go elsewhere to find donors in the non-regulated market, and that gray market is is definitely not so good for the children, and uh, it's very you will never find that donor again. You will never have any information. We we don't have to talk about data because there is no data. Uh, and, and the recipients will also be imposed with the risk of incurring diseases that would not have been necessary if you have stayed in the regulated uh, sperm bank. If you are enjoying listening to your Active's Health podcast, a friendly reminder that you can subscribe to our newsletter that comes out every Wednesday, the same weekday as our podcast. We will make sure to keep you updated on the main EU health news. And don't forget to check out other Active podcasts, such as AgriFood Brief, Tech Brief, and Beyond the Byline. You can listen to us on all your favorite podcast platforms. And for the last bit, let me run you through the main EU news. So last week, we got to know the 30 parliamentarians that will be sitting on the new subcommittee of public health, also known as SANT, S-A-N-T. The constitutive meeting on the subcommittee will take place this Thursday. And the decision to uh, form this subcommittee under the umbrella of the ENVY committee was voted in favor already back in February. Um, the main idea is that this subcommittee will deal with programs and specific actions in the field of public health, such as pharmaceutical and cosmetic products, health aspects of bioterrorism, the EMA, uh, European Medicines Agency, and ECDC, European Center of Disease Prevention and Control. Um, the ENVI committee, though, remains responsible for examining and voting on legislative proposals, of course. And on the other news, uh, last week on 13th, 14th of March, Employment, Social Policy, Health and Consumer Affairs Council, EPSCO, took place in Brussels. And this time, Global Health, health Strategy, European Medicine Agency's fees and charges and medical devices were on the agenda. So when it comes to global health strategy, many ministers recognize its importance and said that it's an important element of the EU's response to current and future global health challenges such as COVID-19, antimicrobial resistance and the health and humanitarian crisis caused by the war in Ukraine. Regarding the fees and charges payable to the European Medicines Agency, ministers welcomed the Commission's proposal that aims to ensure that the fees better reflect the costs of the work done by EMA and to put agencies' budget on more sustainable footing. Finally, number of countries, the Czech delegation, supported by Austrian, Cyprus, Greek, Hungarian, Italian, Lithuanian, Maltese, Netherlands, Portuguese and Slovenian delegations, highlighted the shortages of medicines in the EU market. That is all from us today. Thank you for listening. We also want to hear from you. So if you have something to say, don't hesitate to drop us a line. Our email address is podcast at euroactive.com or contact us on Twitter or LinkedIn. This episode was brought to you thanks to our multimedia team, so special thanks to them and to one and only Jonas Hellebuck. Until next Wednesday, stay healthy. Mm-hmm.